is a god of the game. It's the end of the Kohli Shastri partnership as the latter will continue calling India's historic moments behind the mic while the former joins Indranagar Kagunda to forge a new era in Indian cricket. Moving from one managerial change to another in Barcelona and another in Newcastle and another in Tottenham but not in Manchester an inept display of surrender against their city rivals in front of their home fans is still not good enough to get Ole off the wheel. Best Milan derby in a long time, F1 race heating up and more glory for Indian table tennis. Let's go! Hello and welcome to episode 44 of Sports Chacha where we are back again to talk about what happened in the sports universe after eating all the Diwali sweets and snacks, drank all the alcohol, watched all the games. There were so many managerial changes happened over the last one week. So Ishan, how was Diwali man? Diwali was lovely. A lot of family, a lot of friends. Uh, But I'm glad it's over in a way. I'm glad to be back to work today. Uh, I think after on the second day of my holiday, I thought like, Abhi ho gaya chutti. Uh, <laughs> karna hai. It's very strange. I, you know, I, I, I am like that. Uh, but there was a lot of sports that happened, which kept me sane because after a while I would get exhausted of family, uh, and a lot of drama that happened in the world of football and cricket. So I'm really excited about this episode. So let's get started. Great. So listeners, we are actually trying to evolve this podcast. In fact, in that process, we are trying to going back to one episode per week, but a detailed one, uh, much more insightful rather than just being match updates. So here we go with the first edition of, I would say, the new version of Sports Chacha with the World Cup T20 that's happening. So we are recording on Monday 8th November 10.30pm as we are talking all the group stage games are officially over. India just finished their game against Namibia. They won by nine wickets in a totally inconsequential game. But the last game as Virat Kohli as the captain of the Indian T20 team and Ravi Shastri as India's head coach. Now, Ishan, we know the semi-finalists right now. Any surprises or any good surprises, bad surprises uh, during this last two, two and a half weeks? Well, I think... uh... A pleasant surprise would be seeing Team Pakistan being so consistent and ruthless. Uh, you know, I, I personally thought that the victory against India would be their one and done this tournament because it was such a big win for them in the first game of the tournament. I thought that they would get carried away. But credit to them, they've actually gone from strength to strength. Four games, four different man of the matches. Uh, they they look like the team to beat. And in fact, they are the only unbeaten team in the tournament. So they were a very pleasant surprise. The way they played, uh, the talent, uh, you know, everything. They've just been so fun to watch. They're almost like watching Liverpool uh, in its heydays. they just like, you never know, somebody might do something spectacular and that's what's happened. So amazing. They have been a pleasant sight for me. Uh, disappointment, I would say, how horrible West Indies were. I was surprised because let's not forget, uh, they are the defending champions of this World Cup and they had to qualify for it. And I think yesterday we saw the news that they would have to qualify again for the next World Cup because of them not being in the top 10, uh, which is really shocking. They didn't win a game. I think they just won one game. 
against Bangladesh, and that's it. And that's pretty appalling for the squad that they have. Uh, sad note was that this was the last match, last time we see Dwayne Bravo and Gale, but we've heard that before. So uh, I don't know how many times will we say <laughs> bye to them. For me, they were the shockingly bad uh, surprise because I didn't expect them to be pummeled so consistently. Uh, so yeah, that was for me, those two. Yeah, but I mean, even the West Indies were really bad. Chris Gale gave the moment of the World Cup for me after he picked Mitch Marsh's wicket. I mean, that's a celebration you will never see in a high-quality professional cricket match. It said everything about Chris Gale. That one moment encapsulated Chris Gale's four decades of career. It was brilliant to watch. But yeah, West Indies were very disappointing. They had an exceptional team. Uh, just a small thing like they they actually qualified for this World Cup. For the next World Cup, they'll have to play the qualifiers to get selected. And uh, it's a top eight team that goes. So exactly, it's it's not very a great sight to see West Indies not having, I mean, having to play the qualifiers to get selected for a T20 World Cup, not even a in an ODI or a, or a test team. But apart but, from that, yeah. Bala, I just want to add, did you miss the moment? I think the moment more than the Mitch Marsh moment was when he uh, Chris Kale went into David Warner's pockets to see if there was some sandpaper in it. Oh, oh dude, I didn't see that at all. Really? He did that? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, God. I, I highly suspect... Uh, okay, actually, we should not make any uh, character uh, uh, judgments here. Chris Gale is a very jolly guy. He's yes. always been a jolly guy. So, we'll leave it yes. at that. Now, let's let go of the surprises and disappointments. I mean, India, obviously, one of the uh, favorites to be at least till the... To, to reach the semifinals, at least. In fact, India have reached... Consistently reached ICC tournament semifinals... Ever since the 2012 T20 World Cup. So, after I think five or six continuous tournaments, this is the first time India haven't qualified for the semi-finals of an ICC tournament. Now, this is go- This is kind of becoming a, a pattern, right? England, Australia and New Zealand are kind of occupying these three spots all the time. I mean, if you look at that, if you look at the, the ODI World Cup, it was England, New Zealand, Australia, India. Uh, if you look at the... Uh, the, the Test, World Test Championship. It was the same f- four team. And now in the T20 World Cup, just India is not there and you have Pakistan. So these three teams, even though they have these ups and downs, but when it comes to the big tournament, uh, they at least get to this stage very consistently. That shows how professional they are. I feel like I, I can associate Australia with like a Real Madrid. In a knockout tournament, there's, you know, they might have the weakest squad, and they actually did for this time. You know, as an Aussie supporter, I was really not confident about them qualifying because of, you know, they were in a tough group. Let's face it. You know, you have the weakest team on that on paper was Bangladesh uh, when you had Sri Lanka and West Indies as well, and they made it through that group with just one loss. Uh, that, that I was really impressed with. That's you know, they're clutch that way. Like when it comes to a knockout tournament, they're there when it matters. I don't see them winning this tournament for sure. Uh, I'm actually, if I have to give predictions, I know you're going to ask me this later. Uh, I it's going to. I'm putting my money on an India England Pakistan final again. Uh, but you know, you never know. Uh, Pakistan have revenge on their mind, especially after the last uh, 50 over World Cup. 
uh, what happened when you know a famous Vab versus Watson encounter. Uh, but let's see because you know Pakistan are so strong, but Australia, when it matters, can win any game. Yeah, before getting into predictions, I just want to throw a little bit of love to a South African team. Actually, I didn't expect them to do this well. In fact, they won four games out of their five and they actually didn't qualify only because of the net run rate problems. But otherwise, they were very impressive, very uh, very kind of a disjointed team. I haven't seen this this particular group of players played together a lot of games. And uh, I, I was particularly impressed with uh, Bauma as the captain. He was was really uh, the man in charge. Uh, he took very good decisions on the field. And uh, really good to see South Africa being back to the South Africa that we have seen over the years. So let's move on to predictions. So Ishan, England, New Zealand, Australia, Pakistan. I mean, you kind of gave a hint England versus Pakistan, but are you sticking to that? I didn't give a hint. I made a categoric statement. I'm pretty sure that's going to happen. Unless Pakistan finally becomes the Pakistan of old and when the entire world has put money on them to win it, they lose. They are the strongest teams in the tournament so far, England and Pakistan. And I think it would be a great final to watch both of them clash. Just remember, Pakistan has Matthew Hayden in their dressing room. An Aussie who will know how the Aussies play their game. So, it will be very interesting to see how that dynamic will work out. Uh, I'll be totally... Bala, I have a counter hmm. to that. Australia have Justin Langer as opening partner. <laughs> oh, dude, that's a very, very interesting coaching matchup, right? I think we should, we should start looking yes. forward to these coaching matchups next time when these games come up. It will be interesting to see. But on the other side, England, New Zealand, you're going with England? Definitely. See, I think England has uh, uh, just got a massive blow. Uh, Jason Roy is out of the match. Uh, he's really important in these kind of matches. If you remember the last World Cup in England, he was unbelievable. Like, he literally single-handedly got them to the finals. Uh, that's going to be a big miss. I, you know, I, I'm not sure who they've replaced him with. Uh, but, you know, him and Butler was really strong. But, you know, New Zealand... Uh, have been okay this they've done just enough i feel uh, they've not been spectacular and too strong but you know i that's where i feel england have that edge because they have butler who's probably right now the most informed t20 batsman in the world and if he has a good game the match is gone in the first 10 overs yeah. what if this also goes into a super over <laughs> Oh, dude, that will be the that will be the narration. Like you can make a complete Amazon Prime or Netflix documentary. First scene is super over losing ODI World Cup, and the season ends with New Zealand beating England in a super over in a T20 World Cup. <laughs> I think the directive when it gets really close will be Williamson saying, "Don't throw the ball at the stumps." <laughs> yeah, because somebody might put their bat there. <laughs> oh, now talk about our team. Uh, as I was saying, it's the end of the Kohli Shastri era. And we are in for a new era, the Rahul Dravid era. I mean, okay, let's before getting into Rahul Dravid, how uh, we both think that he will do or the Indian team will do under him. Uh, a bit of word for Ravi Shastri. I'm going to be honest, I wasn't very confident when he was appointed initially. I had my doubts. Uh, I was a big Kumble fan and I was very happy when Kumble was appointed the coach. But then when that whole jagda happened and then Kohli personally wanted Shastri back in, I wasn't very sure. See, Shastri may not be a great tactician, 
but he did have a connect with the player i think he gave the players an extra josh to play and that josh worked in my opinion worked and didn't work at certain times it worked against australia at sydney it worked against australia at adelaide like those are the games it worked those are the times it worked but again that josh kind of pushed them away from that rational boundary and made them lose their mind at crucial games that world cup semi finals that champions trophy finals against pakistan and even here i feel you know it's quite an interesting point you make because i feel shastri definitely made us a much better test playing squad uh, it also coincided with the time where i think we've had the strongest team in years in terms of bench strength uh, in terms of batting options uh, that that had to help shastri both in, in all formats of the game but yeah i think when it came down to match, matches when we really needed a result uh, like as you said any knockout tournament or even the world test championship final where you know i was yeah. pretty surprised with how we performed uh, and how easily new zealand beat us uh, i think that's where i think just being a you know people's person does not work you need to have be a have be a coach be a manager where you're actually making hard decisions uh i think that's where he would that would be one of his shortcomings but i would say it was a pretty successful stint i wouldn't compare yeah. him uh in the put him in the league of a gary kirsten who for me was an unbelievable probably india's best ever coaches uh but or john wright uh, but he still I, he, i won't call it his term of failure by any standard yeah and rahul dravid uh i see i'm totally looking forward to this because i have followed him right from his first innings at lords with saurav ganguly till date i mean he has been one of my idols while growing up while watching cricket uh he's always he, he's always set examples for for being disciplined for being uh so focused and uh, and and so well mannered uh, on and off the field so i'm i'm sensing a very new and a very professional indian team uh, there'll be lot less swearing and dancing around i believe or uh, i'm not sure how that's going to happen but hopefully we'll see lots of new talent coming in the likes of shubman gill the likes of prithvisha maybe someone like a shivam mavi and nagar koti can make a comeback under rahul dravid because they kind of worked well together i'm i'm really looking forward to this new era and i think you know what one thing that dravid would do as you rightly pointed out is give chance to the youngsters especially in matches that you know probably are not the important series but he will still give them an opportunity to shine and challenge the say the in courts the first 11 uh, i think it also goes down to who will become the captain for india that's still not been finalized and that will set the tone for how the team plays because you know cricket is a sport unlike football where the captain more often than not is the manager as, as well because a lot of things happen on field uh he yes he will make the team professional he would keep them on their toes you would see lesser hardik pandya antics you know follow through when the ball is not reached the outside circle uh uh you know those kind of antics but i'm actually i like you big rahul dravid fan i think this is a great decision for it's at the right juncture for team india because we're just at that phase where on our way down it's a downward trend uh, in our form which we've had for the last 3 years and it's important to have somebody who can steady the ship 
All right. Now, enough of cricket. All the best, Team India. We are totally looking forward to the next era of Indian cricket. Now, since we ended the last topic with a managerial or a coach change, our next topic will be all the managerial or the coach changes that happened in European football. So now to all the Barcelona fans, today finally something very nice happened. Like see, we don't know how this is going to turn up. Uh, we, don't, we don't know how this particular new, uh, I'm, I'm overusing this word now, era <laughs> under Xavi. I honestly thought like this will mean nothing to me. I mean, it's just another managerial change. But I stumbled upon the live feed. I was just going through my YouTube on the TV and suddenly saw, oh, Xavi's presentation today and his live feed. And I caught up uh, at the right moment when he was about to enter the, the Camp Nou field. Uh, I have to tell you that I had a bit of a goosebumpy moment when I saw him back on the field. It felt really good to see him back it at Camp Nou. Like, I don't know, as I said, absolutely, I have no objective way of telling whether this is going to work out or not. All I can say is, I hope this works out well. I think it will, uh, but I think it's very important for Barcelona to give him time because to go back to that, the philosophy that I know Xavi would want to uh, integrate within the squad, one, for right now, they don't have the players for it. And the players they do have are, you know, way above their expiry, beyond their expiry date. So, you know, it will take investments. Uh, I know Zavi will prioritize the La Masia, uh, the youth. Uh, but does is La Masia the same quality as it used to be? I don't know. Because if you look at the youngsters coming out, Ricky Puig, uh, he, he thought he would be the gem, but he's barely, barely got a game. You can't put the blame on just Koman because Kike Seti and Velvede, nobody trusted uh, Ricky Puig. So something something is up there. So how much trust would he put on the youth when they are still in the phase of not delivering world stars, right? So it's going to be a very, it's a very tricky situation for him to be at Barcelona. But for the fans, it gives them hope. Some positive news is better than nothing. Uh, you know, I, I came across a very interesting uh, question posed on the ESPN show. And I want to ask you this question. What is more likely this season? Newcastle getting relegated with uh, Eddie Howe, Conte getting sixth place or a European spot, or uh, Zavi ensuring Barca finish in the top three of the La Liga? Uh, out of the three, which is more likely the second one? Tottenham finishing in top six. Wow, okay. Zavi, you still are, have your doubts. I am saying top four. He will take Barca to fourth position. Top three, I'm not sure. Because uh, we will get to La Liga when we get to La Liga. Because I am, I still think Sevilla yeah. are doing really good. They have a, they have a good chance. So this, when we talk about, uh, especially clubs like Barcelona and Real Madrid, right? I mean, we can do a separate podcast on uh, how different these two clubs, football clubs, when compared to any other football clubs in the world. Because uh, these two clubs, for one, they are not, uh, they are not profit-making clubs. They are not a business. They are actually. They're actually football clubs. They're there to run football operations. But beyond that, these two have an extremely high political image within Spain. Like Florentino Perez is a very, very highly powerful man 
within the higher echelons of Spain. And same way, if you are a president of Barcelona Football Club, you are at the same level within that Catalonian, whatever, the society. Today, during the presentation, if you, if you can go back and watch, I'm not sure whether it's still available on YouTube. I insist if you want to. Uh, every time Xavi was going to, you know, applaud the fans around or trying to take a photograph, you will see Joan Laporta within two feet from him, dude. He was sticking with Xavi all the time. He wanted to say everyone that like, I brought him here. I brought him here. It is, dude, like watching how these clubs work is fascinating. As someone uh, who has lived his entire life in Tamil Nadu, which is a very highly political state. Everything you do has politics in it. Barcelona is one such club, dude. Anything you do, there is politics in it. In fact, I, sorry, I'll just... I was so fascinated looking at this. I'll just finish off this one, one, one small thing I noticed. So there was a photo shoot happening, okay? So Chavi with the board members and there are some couple of people. I think it's Chavi's mom or dad or whatsoever. There is this 30-second argument on where Joan Laporta will stand in the picture, dude. They're like going... Like 30 seconds, dude. Chavi is looking at them like, what's going on here? It was like one of those... Yeah, you couldn't figure out the formation. <laughs> yes, Barca has a formation problem there itself. <laughs> hmm. Oh, sorry. But uh, I think... But yeah, but yeah, completely, it's a, I think it's an un, like a really uh, interesting point because... You're right. Like, if you compare the, these two clubs with the likes of the, all the Premier League clubs, like this is like a political party. Yeah. Like, there are elections to make a become a president. There are certain criteria you need to have to even be eligible for a president. There are, you know, the fans make fans' voices make actually make a difference. Uh, you know, and obviously attached to them are also country-specific political aspirations and you know ideologies. Uh, so it's there's so many things, you know, that actually makes me love the sport more and that's why I support Real Madrid and you, Barca, because it's not just football, right? The implications of even a classical result means so many, so much to so many people. Uh, it's, so it's, it's crazy. And I think that's why like a guy like Zavi coming back, you know, being like the savior, the guardian angel for a city of the city of Barcelona, more than just the club. Is so important for Laporta's optics for you know a future re-election. Like he'll always be like, I got Zavi and saved the day. Uh, like how I rebuilt, got Pep Guardiola and you know had the greatest uh, time in Barca history. So it will always be an ace up his sleeve. Yeah. Now talking about managerial changes. Now we saw Nuno Espirito Santos getting sacked last week, and we were talking about how Antonio Conte being the front runner for the job, and he did get the job. In fact, he has already coached two teams. In fact, two. Sorry. In fact, he has already managed two games: uh, one in the Conference League and one in the Premier League. Now, we don't want to talk about that game. It ended nil-nil. It's probably one of the most boring games you will ever watch in your life. But what? can we expect out of Conte? Like, initial thoughts. Do you think that uh, Tottenham has Conte-type players for Conte to work his magic? See, I think one thing which people get very wrong, I've seen a lot of these articles about Conte, that he, the only thing he does, he asks for money and then builds a squad. That's not true. He made, he made, I agree. made probably one of the weakest Italian squads in our lifetime do 
miracles uh, in the world cup right uh, so sorry in the euros in the euros and so i think what he's going to do is he's going to build out his style of play but he's going to be very picky with the type of players if you saw him at inter milan they rotated very less last season like lukaku lutaro played almost every single game uh, same goes for divrish and he's going to have these three or four players for tottenham that are probably going to be irreplaceable irreplaceable few players i feel that are going to either get dumped very fast and i wish they were dumped before eric dyer delhi ali you know like i have no idea why like they exist in the football field uh, those guys might get a kick up their bum either become really good like what they were about 3 4 years ago uh, but or get dumped and that's what one thing about conte if he doesn't like you he doesn't like you he won't play you he has no obligations to play anyone and that includes harry kane uh, so he's going to shape up a lot of the spurs team and let's face it remember one when we were talking about this at the beginning of the season they got a talented squad if you look at just the players individual it's a talented bunch they're just not clicking right now and uh, he can get that because he is that kind of a manager he is one of the best managers in the world uh, so i expect tottenham to be much better than what they are they're not going to finish top 4 for sure but at least do better than what they're doing right now yeah i mean i have a few reasons why i think this will definitely work in terms of players because as you said uh one thing conte will definitely do is he will beat the team out of shape like he will the in the training sessions are going to be so intense in fact i was listening to a belgian uh, journalist talking about how lukaku experienced uh what was lukaku's experience during the initial days with inter the training and the tactical sessions were so tiring so detailed uh over a period of time it took very very i mean it took a while for lukaku to get engaged with that kind of stuff but one thing that conte's team do is they will take a bit of time to get settled in but once they settle in they will go on a run they will play like machines they will start stringing results after results after results and they could go on a 15 run 20 sorry 15 game 20 game unbeaten run that's that's conte's team is very capable of so we will have to watch out for tottenham i would say uh, i still put them as one of the contenders for top 4 because i still believe uh, epl table after what we have seen in this week there is still a lot of teams that can compete for the top 4 position now talking about teams that are competing for a top 4 position there are teams that are fighting relegation and they have sack managers in fact two of those teams have sacked their managers one is daniel farker uh, the norwich team's coach in fact they sacked daniel farker after they won their first game in premier league after 20 games so he was uh, sacked i think saturday or sunday and aston villa they have sacked uh, dean smith uh, their head coach and uh, some interesting names have been uh, discussed to take over norwich and aston villa there is frank lampard being talked being discussed steven gerrard being discussed uh john terry being discussed so some interesting names coming up and ishan newcastle has a new manager as you were saying eddie how uh i like this bournemouth team uh, yeah but i'm just saying how did this happen <laughs> in a way <laughs> because uh he's going to probably be an interim manager if this uh, ex- this explosion of funds that everyone is talking about uh, is going to happen 
Uh, currently, there are so many appeals against it. So if they do get those three, four million, hundred million funds to splurge on, is Eddie Howe the man and they're going to lead, put in charge of those funds? I doubt it. I think he's, they're going to, he's putting, he's been put in a job that just please don't ensure that you don't get relegated. Uh, because that's a severe concern right now for Newcastle. They are at, almost at the bottom of the table. Uh, it's quite shocking. They've not won a game this season. Uh, which is scary. So, yeah, he's a great manager. His Bournemouth, as you rightly said, was quite a decent Bournemouth team. Uh, pretty, they used to, you know, cause quite a lot of upset. So, it's going to be it's a good, good, good uh, decision to get him. But it's definitely for not for the long term, and that's sad because I really like him as a manager. My only problem with Eddie Howe is I don't think Newcastle has the players for Eddie Howe's style. But on the other side. On the longer term, Eddie Ho actually built the Bournemouth club uh, right from when they were in the second division. He brought them up three levels to uh, to the Premier League and they played in Premier League for almost four or five seasons. So maybe they want to build a team, a, a club under, under Eddie Howe. Maybe they saw his work at Bournemouth and thought that he will replicate that in Newcastle. But again, we don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Now, that's about it for this managerial Hoopla, guys. I mean, so many managerial changes. In fact, this is very obvious because this is the international break week. Uh, clubs usually fire managers at this point of time. But there is one club who are very adamant that whatever happens, that they are not going to fire their manager. We are going to talk about that club and their abysmal display in front of their own fans in the next section. This weekend was pretty much city derbies. In fact, when I say city, I'm not saying Man City, I'm saying cities, like cities. Uh, the main ones are the Manchester derby, one of the biggest derbies in the world. The Seville derby, one of the most beautiful and the picturesque derby. But to me, the biggest derby has to be the Milan derby. In fact, younger fans, uh, you may not understand the severity or the rivalry between AC Milan and Inter Milan. It's a very peculiar rivalry. Uh, it's a very unique rivalry also. It was a spectacular game, man. I mean, I have seen a lot of Milan derbies over the years, but I haven't seen one this end-to-end, -end, this exciting, so much action, so much drama, so much narration. This was brilliant, man. This game was superb. And I think, you know, in when I was a kid, the Milan derby was the was the game uh, I used to look forward to. You know, because the players at that time in Milan had Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, and obviously the probably the greatest ever AC Milan team up against him. Uh, those were the games, man. And like it's so I'm so happy to see that both those teams, both these teams are now up back at the top of Italian football. That you know their games are becoming spectacles again because there was a lull phase. Uh, for a couple of years, the both teams were not very good. And uh, so I'm glad that phase is over. But yeah, yesterday's game, you know, let's look at Hakan Karnaglu's ex-AC Milan player scoring a penalty against his ex-club and, you know, way pointing at the away fans or the home fans, one of the two, uh, and mocking them. Uh, that's, the, that's what a rivalry is about. You know, everyone forgets loyalties in terms of where they played the season before. It's just about that moment. 
Yeah, people who are wondering like why it is so important because Chalnaulu was playing for AC Milan the last season in, and in fact his contract ended and Milan uh, didn't renew, didn't give him the contract he wanted. So he jumped sides, he moved to Inter Milan. You play in the same stadium, <laughs> just in front of a different color jersey fans. But yes, he scored. In fact, he won the penalty and he went and asked Lotharo that I'll take the penalty. So Lotharo gave the ball to him and he scored. Then AC Milan equalized. It was an own goal. I mean, initially I thought Toboni scored it, but it turned out to be an own goal. And Inter got another penalty. And this time, Lotharo missed it. An exceptional save by the goalkeeper. In fact, uh, Milan's first choice goalkeeper wasn't playing. Uh, Mainyan was injured, so he wasn't playing. So it was their backup goalkeeper who did a superb job. Second half was end-to-end Milan. Both the teams had a lot of chances, could have scored two, three goals, but... The game ended, I would say, deservingly one-all. Uh, there wasn't a clear favourite. Maybe some people might say Inter, were, Inter should have won the game based on the balance. But as when I saw, I was like, 1-1 was a fair result. But I was so happy, man. Damn happy staying up late to watch a Milan derby. It was thoroughly worth it. Now, talking about other teams that are playing in Serie A, the table reads the same way as it was before. Napoli are still on top. Milan are still on top. In fact, they are tied on points. Napoli are ahead in goal difference. In fact, they also drew their game. Inter are close third. They are seven points away. Juve, topsy-turvy turn. They won against Fiorentina. They are still on eighth. But Roma lost to Venezia. Mourinho, I think uh, we are seeing certain telltale signs of what's going to happen in the next one or two months. What do you think? I mean, it's such a different Mourinho, right? Like now, I think because he's, you know, time has passed. There were certain patterns in Mourinho's career as a manager that we could associate to. And generally, why that pattern the first season is always like the best. Uh, It started off so well for him at Roma. But now I think it's gone back to what we normally expected of Roma at the beginning of the season. Let's be very honest. They're not such a great team right now. Uh, So, are they just doing what they would do with any other manager? What has Mourinho added? So, I won't put all the point, all my fingers towards him. But yeah, you know, you can't be be losing to Vinicius and then, you know, have have something to show for it. And, you know, in the last last month or so, it's been really poor from Roma. Uh, So... It's interesting. I still think they'll give him a, a lot more time than other, a lot of other clubs would uh, because Roma is that kind of a club uh, and the fans love him. So, he's got a lot of credit. Uh, but let's see how long that lasts. Yeah. Segwaying from Mourinho's current club to Mourinho's previous club, which is again a city starting with the letter M, the Manchester Derby. In fact, in a weekend when there is a Manchester derby, the fact that the Manchester derby update comes as the second or the third in the weekend football action goes to show how bad a derby it was. I mean, the second half, City could have played with 9-8 on the field. I don't think it would have changed. City could have got their ball boys, water uh, people, physios. Uh, They could have made a charity game out of it, raised some funds. And United still wouldn't have scored. They would have probably scored more goals for City then. Uh, it was shocking. I would actually peg this game to be worse than the one against Liverpool. Uh, it was like I've never seen 
a derby in any league be so you know the disparity in quality so so stark uh, and like like how it was at old trafford it was quite shocking you know because when you look at man for man united are not a bad team like they've got ronaldo they got those kind of but like look at the midfield that is the difference i feel you know when you got de bruyne and we'll have i have a separate section only i want to talk about how amazing bernardo silva is because he can literally do anything and he was about to be sold by city by the way uh, but they they're playing against fred and mctominay they're great players for mid level clubs i feel uh, they're not united level players and it's it's just i would say it's bad managers but like other players also upwards are games i don't think so and i think varan and ronaldo might be thinking hey prabhu kahan aa gaye hum log because <laughs> i don't think even madrid at its worst uh, would have been like this and i was i was i wanted to tweet this the other day after the game like if ole was a barca or a madrid ma- uh, madrid manager he would have been fired five times over in his united <laughs> term like easily yeah so what do you think what do you think was the problem with united can they fix it since now they've announced that they're not going to let ole go so what do you think they need to do so look they actually definitely they need to change the manager or at least get another coach another someone who can tactically get this team into shape kind of coach you will have to do that i mean this because ole's messages are not going through maybe he's giving the right messages or not we don't know that there's no idea behind the team so it's high time they should they should fire i mean fire is the wrong word they should let ole go and they missed a great opportunity like conte and manchester united would have been a perfect match with the kind of players that united have with the coach conte was uh, it's a it's a it's a shame that how they couldn't see that and they want ole because ole is for the business he's the best one and and that's the reason that's one of the reasons right i mean manchester united as you said right real madrid or barcelona this coach would have got fired five times by now going back to the point i was talking about when i was talking about real madrid and barcelona they were foot, they are football clubs manchester united is a business in fact i am not singling out manchester united every single premier league club is a business uh real madrid and barcelona are football clubs if football is not right then no matter how much revenue you bring in it's not going to work i have a, a just a point i mean i have a different thought it will be i want to see what you think about it see united two years ago when they made the mistakes about you know if you remember the di maria falcao transfers under vanal they said that they're going to look at the long term uh they want to build this club and that's why one of the reasons were of getting like a ole in charge after his temporary stint post mourinho was that's was one of the reason they justified to make it a permanent deal uh getting a guy like conte uh conte is never going to be a long term manager he's never that's not his style like i have max two seasons would be the thing but is that the journey united wanted to take this thing that's one of the reasons why they probably didn't go for conte uh because you know it would have been one season probably the next season full season and then he would be done uh that i feel was the only reason why they probably didn't consider a conte but i am also be like look at it, think of it this way who are the managers available right now that fit into the long term kind of scheme 
I don't see anyone available. And that could probably be one of the reasons why I think United are pretty handcuffed in terms of keeping or sticking with uh, Ole till the next season. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there is one manager who is doing wonders with West Ham. Uh, an ex-Manchester United manager. Maybe they can uh, reconsider getting him back. Uh, I, does he still have a contract with Manchester United? I don't think. I think it was a six-year contract. I think it must have got expired by now. West Ham, man. I mean, they have been a breath of fresh air. 3-2. I mean, okay, the game, there's a lot of talking points in terms of red cards and all this. Let's put that aside. Uh, West Ham, they had a very simple plan. Uh, in fact, Brentford kind of showed other teams how to beat Liverpool, how to attack Liverpool in terms of their defence. West Ham had a very, very specific set-piece plan and both those set-pieces worked to the T. They were very well set up and uh, Liverpool were outfoxed. It, it had to be fair. Yeah, and this has been a common theme uh, for Liverpool. You know, they have certain spurts of, you know, complete zero concentration where, you know, they just let things, like the match flow by and they're just like sitting there dazed. And it's happened a couple of times with them this season. And the unfortunate thing for them is that a lot of these teams have capitalized on it. You know, there are times where you slip up and, you know, the team still can't convert. You know, if you look at United, you give them 100 chances, they might not convert. Uh, but this time, you know, West Ham has been such a solid side this season. You wouldn't expect them to miss these the opportunities that, the, you know, the defence gave. And Alisson, I would say, was responsible for all of the goals in a way. Uh, so that's all down to lapse in concentration, right? So it literally, I wouldn't dig too deep into Liverpool's problem. They still, for me, are the best team in the Premier League right now if they want, if they're in the mood. So, but as you said, this is all about West Ham and I'm so happy to see them. And I think the rise happened last season. Last season, they were really good. They fell away at the end of the season, but they still got into Europe because of those performances early on. And they're just maintaining that run of form and momentum this season. So, it's I think it's about time that they get some recognition uh, with the media as well as from the fans because they're such a great footballing team. Yeah, and they are on third. In fact, they are ahead of Liverpool in the table. Chelsea are still on top, 26 points. City 23, West Ham 23, Liverpool 22 and that's getting very tight. Now, there is another London club who is also inching, who is also silently like climbing up the table, which is Arsenal. They are on fifth on 20 points. They are suddenly doing pretty well. So, whole credit to them and how they have turned things around. Now, in fact, we will talk about Arsenal when we do our preview for the next game. In fact, that's on 20th November, two weeks later, we'll do a quick review of how Arsenal have done this season, even before Amazon Prime does. <laughs> now, moving on to moving on to La Liga, the big Seville derby happened. In fact, for those who don't follow a lot of La Liga, uh, you might obviously will know about the El Clasico, you will know about the Madrid derby, but the Seville derby is very, very special. Uh, it's called the El Gran Derby. It happens between Real Betis and Sevilla. This happened at Real Betis' home. Uh, in fact, both are in the city of Sevilla. Sevilla won 2-0. In fact, they have been, I mean, they have been pretty, not very good in Champions League. They have had their fair share of heart of luck in Champions League. But in the league, they seem to be consistent. They have lost only one game. They are tied in points uh, with Real Madrid, second and third, uh, respectively, they are. Uh, Lopetegui, yet another top four finish, or can we expect more from him? 
See, the thing is, like last year also, if you look at it, early on in the season, they were top of the league. And then they fell by the wayside. The, they don't close to end seasons really well. Uh, and I fear for them this season as well, especially with the rise of Real Sociedad, who we're going to talk about in a bit. Uh, but yeah, they they are they are the team to beat. They're, and what makes them really difficult uh, you know, to predict is that they're really good against good teams and really poor against weaker teams. Uh, so if you play Sevilla, Madrid, Sevilla, Barcelona, Sevilla, Atletico, you generally expect them to really give give hell. Uh, but then they're, you know, at the end of the season, they're known to lose to Cadiz, Osasuna, Levante. So if they get that consistency right, they are a shoe-in for me for the top three or even more. Uh, but it's consistency is the key word. Yeah. Now, talking about consistency, there's a team that is consistently losing points towards the end of the game. In fact, the beginning of the season, they were consistently gaining points. Now they seem to consistently losing points. Atletico Madrid, I mean, this is very unatletico. From a 3-1 lead, they lost two points and both those goals scored during the injury times, right? If I'm not wrong. Yes, 92nd minute and 96th minute. Hugo Doro. Hugo Doro. Both both goals out of like set pieces, which is very unlike uh, Atletico Madrid to concede from set pieces. Uh, great headers, no chance for Oblak, but meaning I don't care about the result, but the moment, you know, the Mastea Stadium, you know, in full flow when a comeback is happening, it reminds me of the old, good old Rafa Benitez days when Valencia was just a nightmare to play. Uh, it brought back those memories, but yeah. Atletico Madrid should be putting Valencia away. Valencia not a very great side right now. Uh, it's a they've dropped points. Yes, on paper, Atletico versus Valencia is a big game. Uh, not with the Atletico right now. They're supposed to win these games. So big, big weekend for me as a Real Madrid fan, barring Sociedad winning, uh, because it was Atletico dropping points. I won't talk about the other team because they are so far off. They're not even considered. But the top of the table is not Real Madrid, it's La Real. Uh, it's uh, in fact the official name is Real Sociedad, but uh, they're official they're usually being referred to as La Real, the Real Sociedad. They are on a great run. Uh, in fact, they had a similar kind of season two seasons back when they had uh, Odegaard uh, stringing things for them. Uh do you see them continuing this? Because I I have seen this, as you said, I've seen this with Sociedad also. I mean, Real also, La Real also for a very long time. Uh, they also start up really well. They go till the uh, winter, they go till the winter break in top four, but then they slowly lose towards the end. Is that what's going to happen? Or do we see uh, a new number four, a new play, a new team in the top four? Uh, no, I, I'll tell you why I think this season might be a season where they actually get something going because this is uh, Sociedad with a lot of injuries right now and they're still winning games. Uh, this is Sociedad uh, who are, I would say, not scratching by, scraping away wins. They're actually you know, dominating games with a weakened squad on paper. So when those players come back, they're only going to get better. Uh, so that's something that I feel for Sociedad fans is a uh, difference between what they were a couple of seasons ago, seasons ago and last uh, and this season. The other is the other big clubs are not as good as they were last a uh, couple of seasons ago. 
right? You're not going to expect a consistent Real Madrid or consistent Atletico Madrid or a Sevilla. So they have to be there to pounce at the right time. Uh, they definitely have to try and get results in these big games, uh, home and away, be it a point, be it a victory. Uh, if they do that, you never know, man. Like, uh, anything can happen, especially this is the time for any team to win La Liga who's not called Real Madrid, Atletico, or Barca. This is that season. Because next season, Madrid is going to spend big. It's going to be a Galactico season. Uh, Barca under Zavi will have money to spend. Uh, will they get these chances again? You never know. All right, guys. So that's a wrap on all the football action. We are not going to talk about Bundesliga because nothing new happened there. Dortmund lost a game. Bayern won a game. Bayern are comfortably on top, and that's how it's going to remain till the end of the season. Wait, something, something new happened. What? Something new happened. What happened? No, wait, it didn't. Lewandowski scored. <laughs> See, as I said, nothing new happened. Everything was the same. <laughs> Great. In the next section, we are going to talk about certain events, a lot of updates, a lot of medals for uh, Indian table tennis players. Absolutely Indian table tennis players Manika Batra and Archana Girish Kamath, they won the women's doubles titles at the World Table Tennis Contender on Sunday. This is very big guys because like archery, table tennis also we had a bit of hope in terms of bagging an Olympic medal both in the men's and the women's section and unfortunately we couldn't win either. In fact, Manika Batra, people who followed Olympics will know, had a very good run but eventually lost to a very good player. Now, this victory adds to another victory. In fact, last week, our uh, men's table tennis doubles team won their title. And right now, the women's team winning it. I mean, this is pretty big for Indian table tennis scene and Indian table tennis fans. So, congratulations to you both and uh, wishing you all success moving forward. We want to talk about this during the last episode itself, but somehow we forgot to do this. This is about Josh Cavallo, an Australian A-League soccer player who released a video on uh, social media a few weeks back telling that he is openly gay. This is the first time ever a men's footballer has come out uh, that he is openly gay. This is very groundbreaking because uh, in women's football, uh, these kind of things are not uh, new. In fact, arguably the, the most famous name in women's football as an openly gay person and uh, this is a welcoming change and in general the way footballing world have reacted to this was also very heartening to see big players like Gerard Piquet, Gary Lineker, uh, Jordan Henderson and many other footballers have come out in support of Josh. Uh, this is a welcoming change, I mean keep saying this is a welcoming change because we have seen a lot of these uh, still issues like racism and other things happening around men's football so hopefully not just the players also some of the fans understand uh, what it is to be uh, someone with a different sexual preference than others so hopefully we'll see more of this and hopefully we'll see players not worrying to come out as who they are i think you're right i think it's great for the awareness but I think the larger concern personally I have is, like you said, the fans, right? How do you sensitize the fans? Because, you know, clubs, uh, clubs, even the FAs have tried their bit to get rid of racism. It still exists. Uh, 
sexual orientation fortunately is not a issues as big as racism in football but it's good for the awareness there might be players in other leagues around the world who are probably not as comfortable to come out in the open uh but i guess it gives them strength uh i don't want to be a person who puts myself in their position and be- becomes their voice because that would be unfair but my opinion would be that how as fans like us when we're doing podcasts and you know when we are looking at attending games how do we sensitize ourselves to treat players as humans not as like our hopes and aspirations like you know me i can tell you from my example when real madrid didn't do well i thought it was a failing in me like i'm probably not the right fan i don't deserve a good real madrid i used to take it very personally so imagine how locals in madrid would do or say a barcelona so that's the power of football but i said power it goes both ways right and that's when you know when does racist abuses or hurling happen when either fans who are against someone against an opposing team who are there say insecure about right racism generally occurs to a player like lukaku because they know that a lukaku can beat their side on his own uh so these things how do we change would be the challenge going on uh, going ahead in football but coming back to this i think it's great for the sport uh i hope you know other sports also have such example that you know have the strength to come out in public uh you know like in cricket you never know we've not heard somebody in cricket in men's cricket come out you never meaning that could give them the strength to come out as well so well done josh more power to you and hope this inspires other footballers and other sports person in general to not to be ashamed of who they really are Now for the first time in Indian women's football history we have an Indian women's club who are playing the AFC Champions Cup. Now AFC Champions Cup for listeners this is the Asian equivalent of the UEFA Champions League. The club we are talking about is Gokulam FC from Kerala. They are the Indian uh, Super League Women's Super League champions and they represent India in the AFC Champions Cup. Uh, it's happening in Jordan. In fact, they played their first game unfortunately they lost to a Jordan team and they have two other games one happening on 10th November Wednesday and I think the second the third one is happening on Saturday. Uh if you want to follow if you want to catch the action uh you can find that on YouTube. Search for Jordan FA or Jordan Football Association you will find a link all those matches are streamed live there all the best gokulam fc i'm sure this is not the last one we will see more of you in the afc champions cup moving forward so in the f1 world things are heating up we have only four more races to go and yesterday there was an exciting and an important race uh it was the mexican grand prix in fact uh after us it's mexican grand prix and after mexican i think next week they are going to play sorry they are going to race in uh, brazil i believe verstappen very very crucial win i think it was probably one of the best starts verstappen's had to a race in his career it was amazing uh he was in third place and the way he held off uh you know uh, bottas and hamilton in the early straight to get take the early lead because what happened was uh, ricardo nuts bottas who was at pole at the first down, uh, first apex that you know swiveled bottas around uh verstappen put on the brakes 
late. He was he trusted his car. He didn't brake immediately to prevent a damage. He trusted his car to brake at the last moment, which gave him that extra millisecond to take that lead. And that proved the difference because once he was on the lead, he was start to finish. He was leading the race, right? And that is incredible. And that shows championship mentality because Hamilton was breathing down his neck throughout the race. Uh, credit also goes to Checo uh, Perez, who became the first Mexican to get on a podium in a Mexican Grand Prix. Uh, so he came third, very important position in terms of the constructor. There's only one point separating Mercedes and Red Bull in the constructors. So I think this has to be one of the closest ever championship battles we've seen probably ever or definitely in my lifetime because generally it's always been one-way shows uh, through the Schumacher days, Hamilton days, Alonso days, etc. So this is great. It's must-see must see football, must-see Formula 1. Uh, so can't wait for the remainder of the races. So we have four races left. In fact, there are going to be three races back-to-back in three race weeks. In fact, uh, yesterday it was in Mexico. Next week it's going to be the Brazilian Grand Prix. The week after that they are going to play in Qatar. And then there's a two weeks break I believe. And then the entire season ends with two more races. And I believe it's going to be in Bahrain and ends in Abu Dhabi if I'm not wrong. Now these yeah, races Dhabi. are these races are going to be very very important as Zishan was just pointing out. It's one point that separates Mercedes and Red Bull in the Constructors' Championship. And it's about 30 or 29 points separates between uh, Verstappen on top and Hamilton on second. Now, this is very, very, this is getting very, very interesting. So watch out for all those races and we will also bring you the updates. That's about it for this episode, guys. I understand this could be a little longer episode. In fact, we had a lot of fun recording it. This is a kind of a new format we are trying. So please bear with us. In fact, if you have any valuable feedbacks, please do share. We keep sharing our Twitter ID and Instagram ID towards the end. So please keep doing that. It will help us improve our content. In fact, this week is going to be an international break week. In fact, two weeks of international week, international break in football. All the players have gone to represent their national teams to play the World Cup qualifiers. In fact, Euro World Cup qualifiers, South American World Cup qualifiers are heating up. So watch out for that. Those games will be there on Sony Live or any of those Sony channels. World Cup T20 is heating up. We have semifinals and finals. So we'll bring you all the actions, F1, NBA, anything that goes around in the sports universe. We will watch over the next one week and we will bring it to you in our next episode which is going to be on next Monday. So until then, it's bye from Bala. And bye from Ishan guys. Have a great week ahead. Thank you everyone for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, please make sure you hit the subscribe button and also please, like we are literally begging to rate our podcast on whichever app you are listening to. It not only helps us, but also helps new listeners to find our podcast easily. You can also reach out to us on Twitter and Instagram at the rate Sports Charcha. A big shout out to the Jam Room Audio for our theme music. You can follow the Jam Room on Facebook at the rate The Jam Room Audio. Bye!